This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Recording live from the Vivid Seat studio with a reminder to use promo code OVERTIME for 10% off on any purchases within their mobile app up to $100. That is promo code OVERTIME. Also, with a reminder, to check out the upcoming game day tailgate experience that is going to be set up for Jets vs. Cowboys. will be a Jets home game. It's their first game after the Eagles, after the bye week. Uh, they will have a tent with live music, events. Tony Richardson will be there. Cash bar, all-you-can-eat buffet. Uh, we'll share all the details on our Instagram, on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on our site. So look out for the links on that and make sure to check out game day tailgate experience next upcoming game they'll have a party for is jets first cowboys today we're going to talk with michael nanya fellow podcaster and blogger for turn on the jets and gang green nation uh, a substantially younger jet fan than myself uh, so with the gen z millennial pod uh, going here uh, we're going to go back and review the 10 questions that i asked in our preview pod before the season started to see how the Jets are pacing on all 10 of them through their first three games. Uh, Before we get into our conversation, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. This podcast is also available on Spotify and Google Play. Every review helps. And with that, we're going to bring in the young pup, Michael. How you doing? Uh, I think I'm doing pretty good, as well as you can, uh, given the way the Jets have started. But uh, I'm handling pretty well. I'm happy that we got this early bye week to kind of take a break from the monotonous offense that we've seen over the past two week, or past three weeks. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm handling it pretty well. Glad to be on here. All right, let's jump into these 10 questions that I asked prior to the season that I said would determine whether or not the Jets would be a playoff team in 2019. First one was, would Sam Darnold make the leap, quote-unquote? So similar to what we saw from Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, some of these other young quarterbacks. Uh, We only got one game of Darnold. Fair to assume he probably was not at 100%. The real question is now, when does he come back? And is Adam Gase going to constrain him? Because with Gase, we've seen the same offense that he did with Ryan Tannehill. He did with Sam Darnold. He did with Trevor Simeon. He did with Luke Falk. Uh, What's your concern level with Darnold? And when do you expect to see him back? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely, you know, the way Darnold performed that first game was definitely... Uh, really worrisome. After that game, I I, I was really questionable uh, about Donald uh, his performance in that game. You know, after that uh, after that game was over, I was really kind of because he made so much progress at the end of 2018. So to see him play the way he did in that game, because you know, other than the defense collapsing at the end of that game, the O line struggling, Donald was he he really struggled in that game, and he was a major reason that they struggled as much as they did on offense and uh, failed to win that game. So I was really kind of down on him after that one. Kind of wondered. Uh, how valid it might, how likely it might be for him to make that leap. But uh, now that we know he had uh, the mononucleosis, he was probably dealing with it during that game. It definitely seemed like uh, he was the way he's playing, and he did say that uh, he was dealing with it during that game. Uh, had trouble sleeping the night before, so it, it is kind of uh, reassuring to know that that wasn't him at full strength. So uh, I've kind of written off that game, and I think it's fair for us uh, to do that to an extent, uh, knowing what he was dealing with. So I think. To get him this bye week and to have him back, 
hopefully in that Eagles game next week. Uh, it does seem like they were really optimistic about that uh, being the target return date the last time they were discussing it. We'll see uh, how they update it uh, throughout the bye week and the week ahead of that Eagles game because this isn't something that, you know, you want to risk too much. There is a lot of risk uh, associated with this illness, you know, with the spleen and, and everything like that, that you don't really want to risk. Uh, throw them out there too early, especially with this, you know, kind of looking like a lost season, even though you do uh, want to hopefully save it as early as you can with them only being 0-3. You know, the Texans were 0-3 last season, and they came back uh, to make the playoffs. So, you know, I, you don't, you don't want to rush them back in there, but to get them back against the Eagles would give them a spark, and I think it, it would be good to come out of the bye week and kind of, just kind of restart the season uh, next week in Philadelphia. You know, just kind of in a way, just restart the season, get Donald out there, uh, run the offense with Adam Gase and just kind of start over from that point. So uh, I think it's good that we can write off to an extent uh, Donald's performance in that first game and to, to get the opportunity to whenever he comes back, even if it's not the Eagles game, if he comes back against Dallas, New England, just from that point on to just evaluate, get him back healthy and evaluate him from that point, kind of restart the season and the evaluation of the offense of Donald from that point onward. Yeah, look, I mean, even if the Jets – turn out to be a very bad team this year. They'll still be all eyes on Darnold's progress. I think, you know, the hope is they're smart about when they bring him back and we see a guy who is building on what were some really encouraging stretches last year and an offensive system that's going to curate to his strengths and allow him to push the ball down the field more, uh, innovate a little more outside the pocket and not sort of be constrained by regularly throwing behind the line of scrimmage or short of the sticks on third down. Um, Second question, we'll come back to Gase a little later. Uh, Leonard Williams, will he get a second contract from the team? Prior to the season starting, I was skeptical about whether this was going to happen. I would say it's been a very disappointing start for him through three games. He's been pretty invisible regardless of what the Jets' defensive line coach uh, has said about him affecting the quarterback. Uh, you're a little more, I would say, probably much more bullish on Williams than I am. What, what's your read on him through three games? And if someone asked you today... Uh, do you think he will get a second contract with the team and should they invest, you know, a 60, 70, 70, $80 million contract with him long-term? What would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, generally I've been a pretty big, a, a big, I've been pretty bullish on Leonard Williams. I've backed him, you know, throughout all the criticisms he's gotten. I think he gets, you know, criticized for some, sometimes more than he should be. I think he's brought a lot of value to the team. His run defense has been really good. He's consistently among the leaders and pressures, but up to three games this year, just aside from the breakout that we hope to see from him, you know, playing next to Quinn Williams, although he hasn't gotten to play next to Quinn that much, uh, only in that first game, missed the last two. So he hasn't gotten that advantage yet. But playing under Greg Williams, this being a contract year, you know, there were hopes that he could, you know, finally break out and have that huge sack season, just make some more splash plays than he usually does. But even aside from not doing that, just what he usually brings to the table hasn't been there. The run defense, the pressures, he had zero pressures in the Patriots game, playing throughout the playing throughout the entirety of the game. Didn't get a single pressure in that game. So even what he usually does well, uh, the value that he does bring to the table hasn't been there. Just that impact in the run game, creating pressure, creating sacks for other people uh, that other players have finished. You know, sometimes he's won a matchup in the middle, and that's led to someone else finishing up the sack. Even those contributions have been there. So uh, even just aside from hoping that this would be his breakout season, he's been way below his usual standards and it's been a really disappointing start for him i think he's arguably been uh the most disappointing player on the team you know you look at a tremaine johnson you know we hope he'd have a bounce back season but you also know what he is at this stage of his career so to see him play the way he has so far you know it's not too much different from the way he's played uh, 
you know, the way he played for the Jets last season. But Leonard Williams is a guy who, you know, over the first four years of his career, even though he hasn't quite been as good as we hoped he could be when the Jets picked him sixth overall back in 2015, he's still been a solid, you know, above average player for them at a very consistent level. And throughout three games, he's been, you know, a liability at that position. If you're not producing a pass rush, if you're not defending the run well, then you're not really doing anything. You're just out there taking up space. And that's pretty much what he's been doing. So, it's been a really disappointing start for him, and it was already kind of a 50-50 on him, you know, potentially getting an extension before the season, you know, at a position that is really, really deep in this league. You know, you see teams easily find defensive line talent all the time. So uh, he really needed a huge season to do it, and now after three games being, you know, way below his usual standards, it, it seems like a long shot at this point, unless out of nowhere he comes out of the bye week and just dominates the last 13 games. I stand by my take that the Jets could start Kyle Phillips, Foley Fatukasi, Franklin Myers, and try to trade off Leo and Henry Anderson for late-round picks in the middle of the year and not have an overall impact to their team record and be okay long-term. Bit of a hot take, but that's kind of where I feel right now. Going back to Gase, uh, one of the questions was, what he learned from what didn't work in Miami? You know, He comes out first year, 10-6, and six, makes the playoffs, since then, he's 13-22 and 22 now, including losing six in a row. His teams have three offensive touchdowns over the past six games. I would say, yeah, he's been dealt a crap hand, but I think from the, his demeanor and some of his answers and from some of the things we're seeing with the game management, looks like the same guy we saw in Miami the past two years. I mean, let's just cut right to it. If someone asked you right now how much longer Adam Gase will be the Jets head coach, what would your answer be? Someone asked me this question before the season, and I said I thought he'd be their coach for two years, and I got a lot of nasty responses in my mentions over that for being too mean, I guess. And now I feel like that might have been a little optimistic, but what would you say uh, his length of tenure ultimately will be? Yeah, I think, I think two years definitely makes sense at this point. I think he does get this year, you know, especially given you know what's happened over these first three games, losing two quarterbacks and just you know all the other injuries they've had to deal with. So that definitely gives him a little bit of an excuse there, but I, I still think, you know, even without that, even if the Jets did finish six and ten, seven and nine, fully healthy, he still would get that first year because the main reason he was brought here, uh, brought to New York, was for just to, to coach up Darnold, really build that connection. You know, that McVay, Goff, that Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, to be that kind of relationship uh, between coach and quarterback. That's the main reason he was brought here, and you know, given that Darnold's only twenty-two years old in his second year, unless Donald just is completely awful the rest of the season, kind of like he was in that Buffalo game, if that's the Donald we see the rest of the season, then maybe Gase goes out this year. But otherwise, uh, he's a young guy. 20, uh, 22 years old was the youngest uh, week one starter ever last season. It's only his second year. And, you know, I think the Jets kind of understand the hand that he's been dealt with these injuries and the fact that this isn't a roster that is built to win a Super Bowl this year. You expected them to be in the playoffs, and they still could. You know, it's in – Within the realm of possibility, the Texans came back from 0-3 last year. The Colts came back from 1-5. So even if they don't make the playoffs, I think that he kind of has this year. But if he's going to last beyond next year, the Jets have to make the playoffs one of these two years. Next year, that those excuses are out the window. You know, this year, we'll see what the Jets do. You know, if they can finish, have a winning record the rest of the season, even if they don't make the playoffs, or have a winning record overall, and Darnold looks good, then then that's promising. But next year, you know, you got to start winning games at some point. So, and the way that he's looked so far in terms of his game planning, and it's early. I'm I'm more than willing to wait and see what happens once he gets some of his reinforcements back, especially Darnold. 
uh, because, you know, coaching up, you know, coaching an offense to success in New England with Luke Falk, this offensive line, but the O-line's not going to change. That's one thing that's not going to change. So it'll be interesting to see how he works around that. But coaching Luke Falk and, you know, just the, the talent and Ryan Griffin and Braxton Berrios and Josh Bellamy in New England, it, that's a hard thing to do. So I'm willing to wait and see what he does with more reinforcements. But, but like you said, the early returns are not good. Regardless of the talent level, the Jets, this is the first time in their history they have one offensive touchdown in the first three games. And we know the Jets have never real, not had a lot of offensive talent over the course of their history. So even given everything they dealt with, the results are, are historically awful. So not a good start. I think, I think he gets this year unless things continue this way the rest of the season, even once they get healthy. But uh, beyond next year, he's got to win some games at some point. So I think two years is a good, uh, a good guess right now. Next question, how much would the Jets miss Avery Williamson and Chris Herndon? You know, two questions kind of rolled in one. I think with Avery Williamson, I think his injury, along with what happened with Mosley, which was unfortunate, obviously, has helped unearth one of the few positive stories early in the year, which is how good Blake Cashman has been. And I think, you know, I, I know how Williams' contract is structured, but it's hard for me to see a situation where the Jets' two starting inside linebackers next year aren't C.J. Mosley and Blake Cashman. Why wouldn't you, you know, go in that direction? So he hasn't been perfect, but I don't really think they're missing much of a beat with Williamson. With Herndon, kind of the complete opposite situation. I just think he's such a key piece of their offense, and Joe Douglas inherited a tough situation. I I was harping on this all offseason. The Jets needed to add a quality backup tight end. There was a lot of talent out in the free agent market, or not a lot, but enough guys to go take a swing on, guys like Jared Cook. Uh, a couple other guys who got picked up in the draft, it was something they should have considered, and they did ultimately draft Trevin Wisco. I don't want to write him off three games into his career, but I can tell you it's frustrating watching someone like Dawson Knox make plays in the Bills already while Wesco can't even get playing time ahead of Griffin and Brown. So I get um, what Joe Douglas did in a tough situation, somewhat similar to what he did with Ryan Khalil, which we can get to later, but Griffin's kind of stunk. Uh, and they've missed Herndon a lot. I do think Herndon is going to be very involved when he gets back. I mean, I don't think we have to go too much into the Williamson you know, stuff unless you want to give some comments on what you've seen out of Cashman, but how much of a boost is it going to be when Chris Herndon returns? Yeah, Herndon in particular has been a huge loss. Uh, I think a lot more so than we anticipated just because of how bad everything else has been. You know, missing Darnold especially really emphasizes that tight end position because – that, that's one position that can really help out a backup quarterback, you know, having that big target in the middle of the field, just a security blanket to go to. And in pass protection, they have a huge role. And in both phases, Ryan Griffin has not done the job. He's done absolutely nothing in the receiving game. And he's been, he's been a huge part of the protection issues, the blocking problems uh, that this team has had. Not just the O-line, it's been him. Daniel Brown in the limited time that he's played has been also done nothing as a receiver, but in the blocking game, he's been terrible as well. And, that's an area where Chris Herndon was pretty solid last year. His pass protection was really good throughout most of the season. His run blocking kind of took some time to, you know, get going until later in the season. But the pass protection was something he did really well last season. But obviously the receiving is the big, you know, plus that he brought to the table. Over the once he got involved in the offense last year, he was really a top five to ten receiving tight end uh, over the past ten week over the last ten weeks or so of that season. And he just got really te- really good chemistry going with Darnold, but you know, even if Don, even though Donald has been hurt so far, if uh, you know if Luke Falk, Trevor Simeon could have Chris Herndon to throw to, it just gives the Jets another legitimate weapon, which they're really lacking right now. 
you know, having Quincy Nunwa already out, Demarius Thomas went out, so you, you're running Braxton Berrios and Julius Tom, uh, uh, Josh Bellamy out there, and then at tight end, you've Ryan Griffin who hasn't done anything. So it, it, they're really missing one of their who was a guy who was they're really their maybe their best weapon last season in the passing game. It's between him and Robbie Anderson and the guy who would really help out an offensive line that has been atrocious so far. So it's been a huge loss, and it's going to be a huge help uh, to have him back once he does return against the Cowboys. Speaking of Robbie Anderson, one of the questions around him was, can Robbie Anderson be wide receiver one? Uh, and not in the traditional like Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins sense, but can he be a guy who has you know 1,100 yards, 8, 9 touchdowns, really be the lead receiver? Bit of quiet start for Anderson. Uh, did not come up with a big play late against Buffalo. I'd say one of the misses was on Darnold. One of the misses was probably more on him. Uh, had a couple decent plays against Cleveland uh, and then was really quiet against New England like he always seems to be. I think he's on pace probably for like 500 yards right now. Now we've seen with Robbie, he's a streak shooter. He'll be really cold for three weeks and have three huge games in a row and then disappear again. If you had to re-sort of estimate where he ends up stat-wise this year, where would you put it? Before the season, I picked him to be a little over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. Not feeling great about that now. I'd probably reset it to maybe more like 700 yards. Maybe that's too much of a course correction, but I don't know. I mean, Gase is, I think we sometimes underestimate, Gase is a crazy mother effer. I would not be surprised if, I don't want to say, I would. it would not absolutely shock me if the Jets traded Robbie Anderson at some point during the season, if he has one more game that triggers Adam Gase in some way. I mean, what's your read on Anderson on the overall situation here? Yeah, well, having these first three games in which he hasn't really produced at all, I mean, he had, I think, 81 yards in that uh, game against Cleveland, but did pretty much nothing in the other two games. So that definitely throws him off in terms of his full season numbers. So he's averaging 38 yards per game right now, which is, uh, last two seasons, he averaged 59 2017 and 54 in 2018. So he's way behind that. So this uh, slow start does kind of throw him off the high hopes we had for him. But he also did start both of those two seasons pretty slowly. So he has kind of tended to really not get going till the middle and later portions of the season. And I think the high hopes on him were kind of, kind of built around his chemistry with Darnold because what was really special about what Anderson did at the end of last season was that it really wasn't the deep ball. He was one of the leading receivers in the league over that three-week stretch against uh, Buffalo, Houston, Green Bay last season. And it wasn't the deep ball that was getting him there. You know, he had that really, really nice clutch catch against the Bills in that uh, the comeback victory. But most of his catches in those three games were, you know, intermediate, uh, you know, a lot of intermediate throws, curls, comebacks, stuff of that nature. And he also had the two touchdowns he had uh, against the Texans and the Bills. Those were in the red zone with uh, connecting with Donald on the scramble drill. So you saw a lot out of him that, uh, was really outside of what we expected from him, getting making plays in the intermediate range. And those were his first two red zone touchdowns uh, of his career, or the first two, he, uh, the shortest two touchdowns, the first two under 10-yard touchdowns of his career. He did have one in the red zone against Miami in 2017, but that was his only one. Uh, those two touchdowns he had uh, connecting with Darnold on the scramble drills last year were his first two sub-10-yard touchdowns. So he was really showing you a lot last season, and a lot of it was based around his connection with Darnold. So not having Darnold has really kind of thrown off his early season, uh, just his outlook and the way his performance has looked so far. And those two deep balls in the Bills game are what come to mind first. They had a chance to put themselves in position to win that game uh, at the end there. One of them, like you said, one of those was probably a miss by Darnold. One of those he stumbled. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, just like the rest of this team, I think that uh, he'll get a pickup once Darnold returns. 
Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see, especially with a noon lie out now. Just one less target at wide receiver. Uh, in this Eagles game, you're going to get uh, Herndon still not going to be back. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how Anderson picks up down the stretch here. So to, to get to 1,000 yards, it's going to be a tough road for him with the way he started. But he does have a good chance to lead his team in receiving uh, over the course of the season once Donald does come back. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they connect. Because what they, what they showed, that pair, Anderson and Donald, at the end last season it was more than just a guy throwing up a few bombs to his deep threat. It was, it was a legit quarterback-receiver combination, making plays in the red zone, at improvising and scrambling you know, outside the pocket, intermediate range. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that going. And the Jets, we know the Jets really need that uh, chemistry between a quarterback and a receiver right now. Staying on the offensive side of the football, uh, one of the questions was, can this offensive line hold it together? And so far the answer has been, a resounding no. I think in order of problems, Ryan Khalil has kind of been a disaster. They probably would have been better off playing Jonathan Harrison. I wouldn't be surprised if they made that switch sooner rather than later. Uh, Brian Winters is still Brian Winters. Uh, I think what's really concerning is that the other four guys are the same and they were better last year. Not that they were good last year, but they were better than what we've seen so far this year. And a lot of the mistakes aren't just lack of talent. It's a lack of communication. It's a lack of sound game planning, leaving Beecham one-on-one repeatedly with Miles Garrett. Um, it basically, everyone has regressed across the board, which is kind of surprising because one of the few hires that I did like on the coaching side was Frank Pollock and haven't really seen that translate through. Now, this unit didn't get a lot of time to play together in the summer, and we talked about that potentially being a problem with the fronts they're facing early in the year. Not going to get easier with Philly, Dallas, and New England again. Uh I'm going to guess that the Jets swap Khalil for Harrison and swap winners for Lewis sooner rather than later, and we probably see Chuma Doga at some point. Uh, what is your take on this mess through three games? Yeah, and, and you brought up Frank Pollock, and that was one of the hires on the uh, one of the few hires on the assistant staff that I really liked because you look at Pollock's resume over the past decade or so, and he's been with a few different teams: Houston, Cincinnati, Oakland, Dallas, and pretty much everywhere he's gone. Uh, he's been a part of some really productive offensive lines. So uh, he brought a really good resume to the table and so far hasn't really shown through. And you don't want to, you never want to blame an assistant coach too much as you don't really know what their impact is on the, the unit's performance on the field. But uh, definitely is disappointing given his resume. But on the field, you know, it all starts with Ryan Khalil, I think. Uh, so far, this move has been a disaster. And, you know, like you said, it's not even as much that he's getting dominated. And not that he's not, he is. Uh, getting physically dominated as well. But the main problem has really been communication issues. And I think that really stems from the fact that, and this is something, an issue, a uh, potential question we talked about quite a bit before the season started, the fact that these five guys never played together in the preseason. And obviously that's a product of Khalil coming in late, him retiring after the season, and the Jets pulling him out late. So uh, the communication issue was a question mark, and it's been resoundingly answered as a huge issue early in this season. And it all starts with Khalil, I think. Now, will those communication issues be that much better with Jonathan Harrison in there? We don't know that. And I think we're going to get that answer soon enough, like you said. I think that is an obvious change that, you know, maybe they make it out of the bye week. Uh, if not, potentially later on, we're probably going to see Harrison starting some games at center. But, you know, he did, he did play with this team last year. He played with Brian Winters, Brandon Shell, Kelvin Beecham, uh, three of the four guys who he, he's expecting to be playing with, he has played with uh, in real games in the past. They play, he plays them throughout the preseason, the entire offseason program. So that's a big plus that Khalil does not bring to the table. But 
And, you know, Jonathan Harrison, he did play uh, at the end of last season when Darnold got on that role, but, you know, that it's not really a correlation there. It's not like Darnold played good because Harrison was in there. It's good to know that the offense can succeed with him in there, but, you know, Harrison is what he is. He's a low-level starting talent. You know, if he starts, he's probably one of the lesser starters in the league, but he is good enough to be a, star, a low-level starter in the league, and that is not what Ryan Khalil is playing like right now. Uh, he's playing more like a, you know, decent third-stringer at best. So uh, Harrison is not a great player. He's barely starting quality, but he is a huge upgrade over what Ryan Khalil has bought so far, and he has a lot more chemistry this group. So I think going to him is an obvious change that I, I think they should make it right now. We'll see if they do it. But I, I would come out of the bye week with Harrison, and you mentioned a few other changes that they can make, and they can really make changes at any position. Uh, other than left guard, not that Osemele has played well, but more so the fact that, you know, they traded a pick for him. He's probably their most talented player on this line, even though he hasn't looked like it uh, so far. He's, he is their most accomplished and talented player, so it's probably best to just roll with him. But, you know, at left tackle, maybe put Chuma Idoga there. He could put Idoga at right tackle, too, because... Beecham against the Browns, abused by Miles Garrett, and then Brandon Chell against the Patriots was abused uh, by their defense. So either one of the tackle positions, you could put Edoga there. Alex Lewis has played left tackle before. Uh, you could put Alex Lewis at right guard to replace Winters, Tom Compton to replace him. So there are, there are a lot of options. Uh, they did do a good job building the backup group this offensive line, so that's a plus. So uh, they do have a lot of potential moves that they can make to try and uh, at least try to give some energy. Not that you expect these backups to be much better, but at least to try something new because it can't really get much worse than it has been. All right, final questions on the defensive side of the football before we wrap. I'll roll these two into one because I think one was pretty evident from what we've seen, and it's still too early, and one is unfortunately evident in the other way. So first one was, Will C.J. Mosley prove to be worth that much money? Now, I was skeptical of it. Week one, he certainly looked like he was. He had one of the best halves I've seen a Jet defender have since Revis was in his prime. Pick six, uh, was playing well. Not Another pass down was all over the field, basically. He was the best player on the field until he left with an injury. When he left, the Jets' defense went in the tank. Um, I don't know if ultimately over the course of his time here, particularly if he keeps missing games, he'll prove to be worth just how much he paid. But he certainly looked the part week one. At cornerback, the other question was, who the hell is playing cornerback? And look, I'm not a Gase and Greg Williams huge fan of either, but one of the things I, I like and respect that they did is that they were very quick in pulling the trigger on benching Tremaine Johnson because he was terrible week one, um, and he is not someone who's been good since they signed him. And Hairston's been better uh, from what we've seen so far, and they're not just playing Johnson because of his contract. And I think even with the cap situation, I can see a situation where Johnson's inactive by the end of the year and he's not going to be here in 2020. You know, I think Harrison's been a pleasant surprise. Poole's been better than I expected in the slot. Roberts, up and down. He's had a couple nice moments, but he's going to be a liability in certain situations. It's still a pretty rough overall group, and certain teams, I think, are still going to take advantage of it. Um, but at least you may have some pieces to go forward with Harrison and Poole, but overall you're still going to need more depth uh, what's been your read on how cornerbacks played out so far? Yeah, I definitely agree with you that, you know, the decision to bench Tremaine Johnson, uh, just quickly go and make sure to get that done. It, you definitely have to give them some credit for that because, you know, with the money he's being paid, it's not something that they have to do. But, you know, given the fact that, you know, none of these guys are here and they signed him last year, you know, he's not a player they're attached to. He's not a good player. He's the worst cornerback, you know, 
arguably the worst cornerback on the team. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. And they benched him for the entirety of that Browns game, or he did come in in garbage time. But to start the game, they did go to Harrison, and that move kind of paid off. They did a pretty good job uh, covering the Browns receivers in that game. Obviously, they made the one mistake with Beckham on that long touchdown. That that was mostly on Neville Hewitt. But for the most part, they held up really well in that Browns game. Uh, Roberts and Harrison did. And then against the Patriots, uh, it was a rough start. Uh, Nate uh, Dell Roberts made a few mistakes early on. And, and Johnson actually did start that Patriots game. He played the first drive. He gave up two first downs to Edelman and Gordon. But then after that, they immediately pulled him out after the first drive, didn't play him another snap the rest of the game. So it, it's good to see that Greg Williams has had – well, I don't know why he Johnson was playing the start of that game, but uh, it's good to note that Greg Williams does not have patience for him. And I agree with you that I think, you know, Johnson's not going to be a part of this team, barring injury, uh, throughout the rest of the season. And Harrison has been a pleasant surprise because he is a guy – only in his third season, uh, only 25 years old, and he's got really nice athletic traits. You just see his uh, his fluidity in his hips is really good when you watch him play, both with the Colts, and we've already seen it with the Jets, that you know he has the talent to be a good uh, man-to-man cover guy uh, in this league, and we've really seen some flashes of it early on. He hasn't been beaten too often. You know, We saw him got, get exposed by Beckham early on, that Browns game, the ridiculous one-handed catch, but uh, he's done a pretty good job. He's played a lot of snaps over the last two games, hasn't given up all that much. And, you know, Roberts has been, like you said, he's been who he is. Sometimes he's going to, you know, make, make an interception, targeting Odell Beckham like he did against the Browns, and he was pretty good in that game. But then he's going to have games like in week one where he gets completely exposed by one of the worst passing attacks in the league, a, a young quarterback in Allen, and receiving group in Buffalo that's not among the most intimidating the Jets will see this year. So Roberts has been himself. Uh, you know what you're going to get from him, just up and down play. And then Harrison has been, you know, we'll see what we get from him the next, the rest of the season because it seems like he's basically going to be that number one corner for them, uh, at least that left cornerback throughout the uh, throughout the rest of the season. Jets play a lot of really good receiving groups, especially coming up, you know, Philly, Dallas, New England, next three games. Uh, so he'll have plenty of tests early on, but the early results have been promising. That trade looks good for Douglas, but, you know, Benching Tremaine Johnson is really the big thing, and that's a positive because we hope that under Greg Williams, that uh, and that's another thing. Greg Williams does have experience with Johnson in the past, and and Johnson had some of his best seasons. You know, the seasons that got him paid the money that he did. He kind of set that base, established that for himself under Greg Williams back when uh, he was coaching with the Rams. So he knows Tremaine Johnson. It's not like he's a player. He has a coach before, so we hoped. He could get some more out of him, get him back to that form. But, you know, it's obvious he just does not have the athletic ability required to play competent cornerback in the NFL. So it's good to see that they've been aggressive with that. But cornerback has been, you know, a problem like we expected uh, expected it to be. But Nate Harrison has kind of been a silver lining. And Brian Poole as well. He's been near the very top of the league, top five in the fewest yards allowed per cover snap throughout the three games. And Poole's really good numbers in terms of, you know, how few yards allowed for cover snap uh, they've given up this season. That, that could be products of, you know, the team uh, opponents co- uh, targeting Johnson, Roberts, and Harrison. But he has played pretty well. It's been a good start for Brian Poole. There have been a few drops. Edelman had one uh, in this game. Beasley had one in the first game. But for the most part, he's been pretty solid. So, you know, Poole and Harrison have been uh, promising so far, especially Poole since they, you know, spend money on him. It's been good to see him deliver that contract so far, but uh, Roberts has been up and down like we expected. But no, I, I think they've navigated this. with Harrison and the way Poole has played. I actually think they and benching Tremaine Johnson. I actually think they've navigated it as best as they can. Greg Williams has, but obviously they did lose that Bills game because of the way uh, Roberts and Johnson performed. But I do think. 
Greg Williams is navigating it pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see with three really big tests coming up, uh, the three first three weeks out of the bye, it'll be interesting to see if Greg can continue doing that, if Poole can continue playing well, and uh, if Harrison uh, can be up to the challenge against these guys. All right, Michael Nanya, thank you for joining us. Everyone can follow him on Twitter at Michael underscore Nanya. Uh, we'll be back at some point over the weekend with another episode before we get into our normal spot on next Thursday to talk Jets, Eagles. They'll be back off the bye week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, remember, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, and we'll be back in a few days with another episode.